Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cuban. This week I want to talk to you about in this gracious work, we are to be cheerful givers. Everybody go like this. Are you cheerful? All right. So I was nervous about preaching this. Let me tell you why. This series. Because, honestly, probably an insecurity in me. I never want to feel as though I'm trying to convince you to give. I want that to come from a place inside of you, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. Um, And I was talking to a friend of mine about that this week. And he said, you know, I've never had a problem with asking for money. I was like, well, that's good. Good for you. He said, you want to know why? I said, man, I'd love to know why. He said, because I go to Starbucks and they ask for $6 for a cup of coffee, never blink. If they can feel good about asking for 6 bucks for a cup of coffee, I can feel good about asking for money to grow the kingdom of God. And I was like, all right. Still a little nervous, though. But whether we're nervous or not, we're instructed as teachers and pastors to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. And so I'm going to talk to you about this today, the cheerful giver. We live in a country that, according to our Declaration of Independence, we have three rights. They are a right to life, liberty, And the pursuit of happiness. Amen? American society has a tendency to mean that that also gives us a fourth right. Which is a right to prosperity. And that's not true. Nothing in our Declaration of Independence declares that we are to be prosperous. That we should be wealthy. It does tell us that we have the right to pursue happiness however we deem that appropriate and however God lays on our heart to to accomplish that purpose. But having money for the sake of money is not something we're ever called to do. But we live in a society that will teach us differently. You turn on the TV, you read a newspaper, if they still make newspapers, I'm not sure if they make newspapers still. If you read a digital newspaper... Social media, there's always somebody on there, YouTube, with a 10-minute quick fix, how to get rich fast scheme they're trying to sell you for $19.99. And they're getting rich fast trying to sell you this thing that's not actually going to work. It's just working for them. My whole point is, is that we have to understand that in our giving, we should be cheerful But we don't have a right to prosperity. We have a right to a pursuit of happiness. We have a right to pursue a loving God. And in pursuing that loving God, we are blessed. Now, that may be materialistically blessed, or it may not be. But I have never met someone faithfully serving God that wasn't blessed. That he didn't pour his graces out on them, which I'll get to in just a moment. 
But in today's society, many false teachers, and I will say that confidently, will tell you that your blessing is directly proportional to the love that God has for you. And that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. The blessing that you have that proves God's love is that Jesus Christ died on the cross so you could spend eternity with Him. If this were true, if what the false teacher would tell us is true, that when we're blessed it proves how righteous we are, then the writer of this book, 2 Corinthians, would have been cursed by the hand of God. Because in 1 Corinthians 4.11, Paul describes himself as hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, and homeless. Does that sound like today's modern prosperity gospel? No, it doesn't. Today's modern prosperity gospel will tell you, God wants you to have everything that you've ever wanted. God wants you to drive the nice car. God wants you to live in the fancy house. God wants to bless your bank account. God wants to bless you. But only as you are obedient and being submissive to Him. Jesus Himself would have been cursed by God if this were the case. If it were the case that our blessings determine our spirituality. Because in Luke 9.58, Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has what? No place to lay his head. I've heard people twist the scriptures and do all kinds of stuff, say Jesus was a rich man. I can't find that anywhere. They're all, well, they, they bartered over his garment. Maybe they didn't have one. Or maybe it was semi-nice. This is not an expensive suit. But I guarantee somebody would wear it if I didn't. But we need to be, regardless of what our physical blessing looks like, regardless of whether we're like Paul or Jesus, hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, no place to lay our head, we're called to be cheerful givers. And in this text, Paul explains to us how. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read 1 through 5 first, spend a little bit of time there, and then 6 through 11. 1 through 9 reads like this. I mean, 1 through 5. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry of the saints. Superfluous just means unnecessary. Listen, I know that you're a given church, which is another reason why I don't spend a lot of time teaching about giving here. Because speaking to most of you about giving is superfluous. It's unnecessary. You're giving Already, you have a giving heart by nature. You understand what's been given to you and you want to give back. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness in which I boast about you to the Macedonians. If you were here last week, you'll know that Paul was bragging to the Corinthian church about what the Macedonians did. This chapter, he starts talking bragging on the Corinthians to the Macedonians. He says, Namely, the Achaia, which is the region in which Corinth was in, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
So their giving was prepared. They had a plan for their giving. And something I think that most of us don't quite grab a hold of because it's never discussed. It says, So that as I was saying, wait a minute. Stir, okay. Last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Do you know your giving, your faithfulness stirs up giving and faithfulness in other people? I look at people and I give and I watch them be blessed and I'll be oh man, I wish I could do that. What do I need to do to do that? What do I have to give up to do that? Not because I want to be compared to them, but because I want to bless people around me the way they are blessing people around them. And then he continues, But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonian comes with me and finds you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I'm sending brothers ahead of me to make sure that you are prepared because I don't want you to be embarrassed and I don't want to be embarrassed for you. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So he's saying, simply, I'm sending people to you to make sure that your heart is still where it was and that you've not been affected in the last year by covetousness, by greed. That you haven't turned into uncheerful givers, negligent givers, people that think your own needs are more important than the needs of the people around you. And then he starts the teaching. He gives the four principles that I'm going to give you today on how to be a cheerful giver. Why we should be cheerful givers. God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you guys, if I gave you four principles to learn how to be cheerful in your giving, would want that information? Because any of you guys ever give, but you're kind of giving through gritted teeth because you didn't really have it or didn't really want to or you're fussy or you're mad or I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my rent but you want to be cheerful givers committed to what you've committed yourself to here's how we do this this is how we keep a mindset of cheerfulness first a cheerful giver is given to give how do I stay happy I stay happy recognizing that I was given what I was given so that I might give it away. Everything that comes to my hand is from God, by God, to God. My responsibility is to recognize that nothing I hold in my hand, nothing, if I turn my pockets inside out, if you dumped your wallet in the floor, nothing, belongs to you anyway according to the word of god it's going to be burn up in the end don't gather to yourselves those things that have no eternal value so what should we do with those things with no eternal value we should use them so that those people who haven't heard the gospel message might come to know jesus so that they can spend eternity with us and so we give we're cheerful in our giving 
when we recognize we're given to give. My pastor's son, Dylan, when he was a teenager, probably eight, ten years ago, he had a conversation with his dad. He said, he said, I think I have the gift of giving. Did you know there's a spiritual gift of giving? Listed within the spiritual gifts is the gift of giving. He says, I believe I have the spiritual gift of giving, which is a pretty profound thing for a teenage young man to say. And his dad said, no, you don't. And he goes, what? He said, in order to have the gift of giving, you first need the gift of getting. You can't give what you ain't got. And everything you got came from God. So until you recognize that, you can't have the gift of giving. That what you have in your hand, in your pocketbook, in your wallet, came from God in the first place. Every blessing out of heaven, all good gifts come from God. All good gifts come from God. Everything comes from God and is a good gift to you. And I know that sounds contrary because sometimes we think, man, I got such and such. I got dealt this raw deal. That can't be good. Everything comes from the hand of God. And according to Romans 8.28, for a purpose. The problem with our understanding of good is we don't have God's definition of good. God has an eternal perspective on good. We have an immediate perspective on good. And so if God gives us good things and all he gives us is good things and those things that the enemy gives us can be made to good things, then we should take those good things and give them according to however we're led by God to give them because they don't belong to us in the first place. Everybody all right? I'm trying to keep this simple. How do I stay happy? I stay happy in my giving because I know what I give doesn't belong to me. God gave it to me. I'm going to read this text again. Or correction, I'm going to read this text, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. Everybody say supply. And multiply. Your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. That means generosity. He supplies seed to the sower. He supplies the seed and promises to multiply the seed. I did some math in my office, me and Trent did, which means this math may not be right. But we were talking about seed. And I took a single kernel of corn. I didn't actually physically have a kernel of corn. In my mind, I had a single kernel of corn. And if I planted that kernel of corn, and it, it grew a stalk of corn, that stalk of corn will have two to four cobs on it. So let's say average of three. Each cob has an average of 800 kernels of corn on it. So that's 2,400 kernels of corn from a single kernel. If I take those 2,400 kernels and plant each one of them and have a 2,400 return on each one of those, 
then I have 57,000 kernels of corn in two growing seasons. Can I tell you, that's awesome. This is what God does to us. This is what God does for us. He doesn't promise just to give us seed, but to multiply the seed. You know what determines whether or not and to what rate our seed will multiply? Our willingness to sow it. What ground are you putting it into? Because I tell you, I can go set it out here on the concrete. I could sow it across this parking lot. It's not going to grow anything because it's not good soil. But if I do it and give it so that the kingdom of God might grow, so that God might be known, then God promises one thing. He's going to continue to give me seed, and he's going to multiply that seed so that other people might know him too. So he does that. He does three things when we sow. He promises to provide bread for us, for others, and to increase our righteousness. According to this text. Righteousness, right standing. To demonstrate an increase in the right standing that you have before God because of Christ Jesus. Man, I'm excited about that. That should get you excited. I'm a cheerful giver because I know with one kernel sown properly, tended to properly, watered properly, I have the ability to reach thousands. With our giving at Launch Point Church, as you know, we reached, we reached thousands of people all over the world. You probably don't know this, and if you don't, shame on me, I guess, for not telling you. We've been to some, at some level physically, which is financially, responsible at some level to 11 church plants since we've been on the ground. Did y'all hear that? That ought to make you happy. That ought to make you want to pull a little money out of your pocket and put it in the bucket because we're growing the kingdom of God here. This is why we exist, so that God might be known. Amen? But there's a catch, and that catch is found in verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We know we serve an if-then God, right? If we do this, then we do this. And so if we reap sparingly, we sow sparingly. I'm sorry. If we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, bountifully we reap bountifully. That's a, that's a hard word to get around my tongue this morning. What's the if? We have to use what God gave us. Not just to our own benefit. I'm not trying to collect wealth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wealth, anything wrong with generational wealth. I'm saying if you're collecting it for your own benefit, you're collecting it for the wrong reason. God gives so that we might be a benefit to someone else. As I was writing this, I was reminded of an illustration I heard several years ago about a guy that was walking through the Sahara Desert. And he was about to die from dehydration. And he happened to come across a well that had a single pipe coming out of the ground. And on this pipe, there was a plaque 
who had read this. One foot below this, below the ground, next to this pipe, is a mason jar full of clear, drinkable water. You have a choice to make. You can drink it and have your immediate need met, or you can take it and use it to prime the pump and have more water than you'll ever need. And then, having more water than you'll ever need, you'll be able to refill it, bury that jar, so that the next person may have more than they ever need to. Make your choice. Are you going to satisfy yourself today at the expense of your tomorrow and someone else's tomorrow? Or are you going to pay attention and live in the long term, not the immediate? We're called to live in the long term, not the immediate. Our satisfaction, my satisfaction comes from knowing that Launch Point Church, or at least the very least the work that it's doing here, will still be alive and thriving three, four, five generations from now. It's the reason why we have people like Jake Fuller, young man, come up here and give the offering. Because he's a generation that's going to be around after I'm gone. So you give so that the kingdom grows. We give because we've been given. Number two, a cheerful giver is a purposed giver. A cheerful giver is a purposed giver. Verse 7 reads like this. For each one must do. Everybody, everybody say must do. Uh, uh, must do. That sounds like a command to me. Just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I told you last week, I had you repeat those words because I told you last week something contradictory to that. I told you last week that giving's a what? Giving's a grace. It's not obligatory. And it is. Until it's purposed in your heart what you should give. And then it's a must-do. Then it becomes obligatory. It's the reason why with these pledge cards that we passed out, and if you don't have one, they're available as you leave today. These pledge cards that we gave out, we gave out two weeks ago and aren't taken back up till next weekend. Because we wanted you to take the time to purpose in your heart through prayer what it is you should give I am not a manipulator I don't desire for you to give a nickel above what God desires for you to give but you have to purpose in your heart what to give question is Pastor Jim is how do I purpose in my heart to do a thing prayer the word of God the guidance of the Holy Spirit and sound counsel in that order I'm going to say that again because some of us don't know how to. This goes for anything that we purpose in our heart to do. If God gives us a vision or if we're looking for a vision, or what is my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? You know how to purpose in your heart what God has for you? Prayer. Sincere, on-your-face prayer that asks God, what do you want from me? With a determined yes for whatever he says to you. Too many people pray prayers with no determination to say yes. Oh, God, just show me what you want me to do. I want you to go to Africa. Well, I don't want to do that. 
I'm going to do that. For Angela and I, he told Angela and I, go to Lebanon. We're all, we don't, don't want to do that. Everybody that hates me lives here. Most everybody that likes me lives here. But everybody that hates me lives here. But we knew that's what we heard in prayer. That's what God purposed in our heart to do. So that's what we did. We should do the same in our giving. Prayer. Word of God. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. And sound counsel. And then once you've purposed in your heart what you should give, then it moves from a gracious work to an obligatory work. And I want to add this because I think it's so important. Whatever God purposes in your heart, I want you to hear, if I may be so bold, hear your pastor's heart for a minute. If you pray diligently, seeking the face of God, and God tells you purposes in your heart to give a nickel a week, Faithfully give a nickel a week. If God tells you to give $50,000, faithfully give $50,000. That's not my call to make, nor do I intend to make it for you. I, I, I initially wasn't even going to tell you how much we still owe on the land, which is the push, the drive that we have right now. I had a conversation with Pastor Leonard this week. And he, he asked me just because he's just bold like that. He said, I know how much you pay for the land. I, I read it in a newspaper. And I was like, oh, they do still make newspapers. He said, can I ask you why you haven't told the church? And he wasn't being bossy. He just wanted to know why I had And I told him the reason. I said, because I don't want them to feel manipulated into giving beyond their ability. Because it's a it's a significant size number. He said, just tell them your heart. Tell them how much it is and let God worry about it. And so I'm going to tell you, we owe $370,000 on the property. But I also know this. That the first time we went out there and I brought all the elders after we closed, we walked over there and prayed. Or we drove over there and prayed. We didn't walk over there. We drove over there and prayed, and we just walked around the property individually. And just as loud as it could be audibly but not, I heard the Spirit of God inside of me say, do never, never ask me for something that can be accomplished in the natural. Only ask me for things that can be accomplished in the supernatural. Because then only I get the glory for it. And I'll tell you, $370,000 is a supernatural number. But that's okay, because we serve a supernatural God. What I want you to do is I want you to purpose in your heart what your piece of that looks like. Amen? Number three. Number three and number four are pretty fast, so stay with me. Number three. A cheerful giver is a grace getter. A cheerful giver is a grace getter. Verses 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. That means every kind of blessing. 
abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. What's he giving you an abundance for? So you can put it in your pocket, so you can say, I got this much money in the bank, or so you can brag about it? No. What, what did he say? He said, for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God is able to make all grace abound to you. He will completely supply you with whatever you need. Don't get me messed up. He's not going to supply you with everything that you want. Because if he did, we'd all be we'd all be heading towards destruction. I'd have a couple hundred million dollars in the bank. Probably wouldn't be satisfied with that. Drive a Lamborghini. I'm actually too fat and old to get in. But I'd have all this cool stuff. But God doesn't promise to supply my want. He promises to supply my need. He's always met my need. I told the church in the first service, when we were absolutely broke, Angela and I had nothing. We were in the negative at the end of the month, regularly. We even bought at the bank, you can, you can pay like a certain amount of money to get overdraft protection. We paid the fee for overdraft protection because we knew we didn't make enough money to pay all our bills. And we gave our life to the Lord and decided we should start tithing. And we didn't get a pay raise. Nothing, nothing in the physical happened for us. But at the end of the month, we weren't using our overdraft protection anymore. That's having given away 10% of our money back to God. I can remember in that time when we were so broken, so broke. I was in my office. I look out the window. Angela drove a, an Accord. Was it an Accord? No, that's a Honda. Altima. And it was broke down. And my little faithful wife, been Baptist her whole life, just learned what Pentecostal is and that you could trust in prayer. She had the hood popped open, and she she got her hands on the motor. <laughs> praying over her car. And we found out her car was broken, and it was going to cost $600 to fix. And we didn't have $600. It might as well have been $60,000 to us. And she she prayed this prayer. God, I have $120. If you can find a way to help me get my car fixed for $120, I'll give you whatever it is that's left over. And our car got fixed for $75. Can you tell me God ain't real? You can't tell me that God doesn't care about the little things in your life and that he will meet your need. This is what Paul says. He's confident. He was content where he was because he knew that God would meet his need. But also, according to Philippians 4.19, he knew that God would supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need, spiritual and physical. And that, that's incredible to me. Enough to be sufficient in everything. That has means to have an abundance. 
of grace. That's so good. But why did he give it to you? He gave it to you to give. And then finally, a cheerful giver is a grateful giver. You know the best way to be thankful for something? Is to start being thankful for something. I know that sounds crazy. But it's like anything else. The more I do something, the more I want to do it. So I find this thing to be thankful for. God, I thank you. I'm thankful for my wife. I can remember the first couple of years of our marriage, man, was just not a great time sometimes. Oh, I'm grateful for my wife. Thank you 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 for my wife. You know what comes by hearing? Faith comes by hearing. Thankful for my wife. Thankful for my wife. And you know what? There was a time I didn't have to say it anymore. I just knew I was thankful for my wife. If God gives to us and we want to be cheerful givers, then we have to be grateful givers. I told you guys last week, and I'll probably say it again next week because it's so important. People ask me, why do you give so much? And I'm not talking about my money. I'm talking about my time and all that, even before I was a pastor. And this is the reason. I was constantly at the church. Had a full-time job, but if I, didn't have, I wasn't at work, I was at the church or sleeping. For about four years. And I had a guy ask me one time, he said, why do, you, why do you spend so much time at the church? Why do you spend so much time serving? And the answer, the only answer I could give him, and it's the answer I only have, it's the only answer I have today, is because God gave his son for me. And although I can't pay him back, I can give him everything that I have. Because I'm thankful for what I have. God is good. I want us to be cheerful givers. Whatever our giving looks like, recognize that what we have is ours because God gave it to us. That He supplies the need. That He purposes in our heart what we should give. And we're obliged to it. The psalmist says, swear to your hurt. It's talking about the psalmist is talking about who gets to hang out with God for all of eternity. Who gets to stay in the tent of the Lord. He says, a man who swears to his hurt, which means makes a promise and keeps it even when it's inconvenient for him. When we recognize all of these things, we cheerfully give. God, what can I do? I know it's not mine. God, what can I do? I know I have the ability to reach others through my giving. God, what do I do? I know it's going to glorify you. God, what do I do? You gave me your son, Jesus. I can at least do this. Amen.